Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of So What Are We Watching? My name's Jay Pollitt. And my name's Andrew. And this is our seventh episode. So before we get into it, I uh, just want to apologize for how bad the quality of last week's episode was. Um, as you are aware, there were many issues with it anyway, but we kind of ran into an issue when when I exported the file, it literally, it sounded like a Dalek. We might, I don't know, maybe we will release the original file at some point. I doubt it. But yeah, it, it just didn't work. So it was either having that really, like, noisy version, or having a version that sounded like it was going to exterminate you. Yeah, enough about the faults of last episode. Let's kind of focus on um, this episode, which is, it's a little bit weird in order, because the main subject is 80s. But for our news segment, it kind of relates to last week's episode. I guess we could just start off as usual by just saying the only thing we've really watched is the same thing. So there's no point in us like separating it between like, oh, what are you watching and what am I watching? So I guess, Andrew, do you want to introduce the film that we're talking about? What we're talking about today is uh, the latest four film for Love and Thunder. The latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Which me and Jay have both watched at this point, and I'm pretty sure most of you would have watched by now. It's been out for quite a few weeks. Still won't be giving any spoilers. Yeah, no no spoilers. But here's the interesting thing about this, though. Me and Jay have two different um, viewpoints on this film. So this little segment, I've kind of nicknamed like a for or against, or like a Thor and against. I know, I know it's a really bad dad joke ha, thing. Ha. Yeah, ha, ha, yeah i know but the whole premise is just, it's kind of like um what was good about it and what was bad about it well before we get into like what i i would just want to ask like out of 10 or no out of five what would you rate it uh maybe like a, a five maybe like a 4.5 um it wasn't the out, best film out of five yeah no no oh no out of five oh um no um, I want to rate it out of five, mm, like a two point five. Okay, well, I've given it, I've given it a four out of t- uh, four out of five, not a four out of ten. I'm saying out of five because that's what I put it on Letterbox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went to see this film and I thought, oh, you know, um, I liked Ragnarok. I thought that was okay. Um, I obviously knew this was gonna be, you know, a more comedic approach. And I'll say my expectations were low for this anyway, simply because of just the trailers and releases that we got anyway. Um, but I went in and I was just kind of disappointed with the story and the direction it went, and quite a lot of the like other elements to the film too, like quite a lot of the characters, quite a, uh, a lot of how um, the, the, they are dealt with, and how other parts of like like little points, plot points, and all that. Of the MCU, I kind of dealt with in this film, and don't mention like the CGI. I, I I'm sorry, but the CGI in this film was like not as bad as She Hulk, but it was getting there. I, I don't think this is a perfect film by any degree. I actually think this is Taika Waititi's worst film, but I still liked it. I thought it was fun. As somebody who has kind of stopped taking the MCU so seriously. It just kind of like felt like it represented my own feelings towards the MCU, with it being kind of very parodic. Parodic? It, it was very much like a parody of Thor, 
But also, it's like you say, like, oh, it's more comedic. But in my opinion, I felt that this balanced comedy better than Ragnarok did. No, I felt it was worse. I've, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, the jokes were in this were just poorly misplaced. Not, not like the jokes, but I mean, like, the jokes and the serious stuff. Like, I felt like there was an equal 50-50 balance between them. Mm, no, I'm sorry. I have to disagree. I'm sorry. This, I mean, this is why it's it's for or against. Um, but I can I can tell you the serious stuff in some parts was done well. Um, with especially with Christine Bale, you know, with the more like darker scenes. I mean, when you say darker scenes, I you mean like darker scenes. You cannot see anything. I don't think it's going to be much a spoiler to say that there's a whole scene, or probably more than a scene, like a whole sequence where the color is completely stripped out of the film. Like, literally, like, it's all monochrome, black and white. It was done well. It was done well. And the build-up to it was great. The fight was great. And then the payoff was just really, really bad. Like, it had the anticipation to be, like, climatic and be, like, suspenseful and actually, you know, be a shocker. And then it does nothing with it afterwards. It just goes... It dangles it by a thread. Bear in mind, no spoilers, but dangles it in front of you by a thread. And then just says, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. The thing is, I, obviously when I say about like balancing comedy and serious stuff, I can't give the one example I'm thinking of because it's a major spoiler for the film. With Christine Bale's character, Gore, he was pretty solid um, villain. They could have just gone with the design from the comics. Like, I get the whole Voldemort comparisons, but it's not that massive, you know... As far as villainy goes, it was pretty, uh, you know, scary. Other characters um, in this film, like Zeus and like late, late, um, like Valkyrie or King Valkyrie, I felt were like massive letdowns. I mean, it's Russell Crowe. I thought you know it was gonna actually be a kind of a little bit of an intimidating Zeus, and he was kind of just turned into like this Greek stereotype, I guess. I get it, it's a kid's film, haha, big man with lightning bolt, with grapes and everything, but come on. It was like a fun parody of just, like, gods in general. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, because this film is supposed to be centred around, like, gods being murdered, and yet you don't actually see any of gods on screen get murdered, aside from, like, one, and that's it. Like, the rest of it's like, oh, go the god butcher, except he kills him off screen. You don't see him kill anybody. You just see him kill one person at the beginning, and then that's it. And then you have to just trust the process. Like, oh, no, no, no. We can't show you, um, you know, people being murdered to death, but we'll show you this instead. We'll show you a bunch of be- insects being gutted at the beginning. Because that's totally fine for kids, right? Yeah. Right. I, I don't understand, like, Marvel's, like, weird little stance with, like, violence like i guess like a pg and they can show like certain things but they've gone like proper heavy before but you'd think for something that revolves a character that's supposed to uh, or his aim is to kill gods at least show it a bit more but it's it's literally just a love story not that's not really a love story it's more just like partially a love story partially a uh look out big and bulky and powerful Thoris sort of thing. It's like, oh no, I I, I need the, the power of teamwork and friendship. I kinda miss him I can I kinda miss him when he was 
just himself, like like back in like four, one and four two. Like also yes, I know Dark World. Not a lot of people like the Dark World. I can understand why, but I kind of like when it, it was taking itself a little bit more seriously than now because now it's just like oh look at me I'm a space alien that still doesn't understand human traditions and that so I can understand that from like that perspective I think where we've both got very different views on the film is we're both expecting two different types of films and it just so happened to be the same this just so happened to be the film that I was expecting to watch I, no, I knew what I was going in for. I knew it was going to be like a stupid Marvel film. It could have been a, a, a like a fun stupid Marvel film, at least. I mean, I did enjoy it to a degree, but there was just parts where I was just finding myself like, oh, this is going to be so typical. Watch this, watch that. And it's just like, you know, predictability. It was predictable, but like it was... I, I like the messages behind it because it was like, um, do things like in the name of love and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought it was like a very powerful message. Yeah, but haven't there been like, haven't haven't there been like five or six different Marvel films before that that have literally been about that? Um, hell, you had Guardians of the Galaxy, which is about van- family, and that's got Vin Diesel in it. So, no, I'm not even joking. Literally, it has a Vin Diesel in it. It's like it's it's a film about family. So, I mean, that's the th- I'm kind of just not looking at these things as like Marvel films anymore. I'm just looking at them as like films that i probably don't take as seriously as other films which is why this is like kind of like the epitome of that um it was quite comforting too because it was like the first marvel film where there's a lot of different gay stuff in it <laughs> well that's the thing that, that that's also another thing right so i know um i don't know if it was the director himself were trying to say this or other people but the film were trying to say this is like one of the most gayest marvel films yeah or something like that but i feel like i generally feel like this film kind of queer baits in a way because it never explores on like you know valkyrie sexuality like you only get like one scene of her putting her hand down like kissing like someone else and that's it and then you know you've got am i allowed to mention about Cook or is that a spoiler that Cook's gay <laughs> yeah that that is um Boyfriend is uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know you get it because um, his his boyfriend's also a rock um, called Dwayne. Um, but no, I generally think this film kind of queer baits a little bit. Like I expected kind of a little bit more representation. I don't know. I don't think it was like so much queer baiting. It was more like there was just a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't expect to see from a film by Hollywood in it. And there's kind of, it's, although it's not directly said in the film, it's heavily implied that one of the characters in the film is trans as well. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, Marvel never exactly, like, focuses on these things. Like, it's a love film, but the one thing they're, like, focusing on more is a, um, a heterosexual relationship rather than, like, any, anything to do with, like, any of the characters because, you know, They'll add a little bit in to say, like, oh, we're representing when they're really not representing. I mean, this it's just my opinion. Um, and I feel like, you know, they could could have at least done something more with it. Which I feel like this is kind of what also links into uh, that there was, like, two more hours, like, cut out of this, actually. So it would have altogether all been, like, um, a four-hour film, I believe, or something like that. But then Tiger Waititi kind of released a statement uh, not long ago about, like, saying director cuts and not good 
and saying like how oh, he's he's glad his cut didn't come out. I'm just like, why? I mean, the thing with Taika Waititi is he jokes a lot, uh, and I have seen a lot of things on social media recently where people have been taking what he says like literally. For example, there was him joking about when he said to Natalie Portman, "Oh, hey, have you ever thought about being in a Star Wars film? Because that's what I'm wanting to do next." And then she was like, "I'm I'm in a Star Wars film." It's Taika Waititi. If anybody, like, if if you know Taika Waititi well, you would know 100% that's a joke. Well, this is the thing, like, you know, you can say you know Taika Waititi, but then, like, it, through those things, you don't actually know if he's being serious or not. Like, it, it's like saying, like, when he uh, said, like, oh, I want to, I think he generally said this, actually, he said, I want to make a four film that's, like, completely the opposite of four, which is, like, and, you know, you could think that in a jokingly way, but literally this film is, like, quite the opposite of four. It's kind of disappointing. It's kind of disappointing that some of these characters now that all the big, strong, buffy ones are kind of just played into these dumb characters. Kind of like um, like how the Hulk is now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. The direction that's going. Like, I kind of missed when Ed Norton was the Hulk. But, and, I mean, Mark Ruffalo was uh, great for such a period of time, but now he's just... It's just it's just green Mark Ruffalo. That's that's what I'm gonna say. Over, I mean, like I I liked the film. Like, like like I said, it's everything that I kind of just wanted for the film to be. I don't take these films too seriously, um, with a few exceptions, being like Guardians and whatever. But it's just like overall, like the film just, you know, I, I'm I, like I said, I don't think it's a perfect film in any way. I think quite a few of the jokes fell flat. I feel like some of the fight scenes were quite satisfying, um, especially with uh, Natalie Portman of uh, Majorna. Is it Majorna? Yoni. I forgot to say the name of the hammer. Oh, um, Millionaire. When it kind of dis- dis- yeah, Mjolnir, uh, kind Majorna. of disassembles and just Majorna, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> um, I was like, am I missing a character here? <laughs> No, uh, what um Paul Rudd says in the interview is just like every should yeah. say the name of the uh, hammer. He goes Jonathan. Um, no, when um Jane splits up the uh, the hammer into like pieces and it clicks back together, it does like a little like click 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 click. That I liked. That that was quite cool. Yeah, it's quite conceptually like. Stunning. Yeah. I kind of like how it's all pieced together. Like it's kind of like in a way, kind of like like a I don't know, like a little bit of like a not like Green Lantern in a way because it's kind of like it's it's like willpower, isn't it? Like she's kind of doing it through willpower, but um, yeah. And Zeus is lightning bolt. What did you think of the um? What did you think of the music they played like at the beginning, like the guitar version of the Marvel Studios theme? Yeah. I feel like this film with its it's it's yeah this I don't know why the the soundtrack was way too much like uh, Guns and Roses like I get obviously that was like hey look it's a Marvel film with Guns and Roses cool but you know at least change it up a little bit but I mean overall I liked it well I mean no they they had other I know songs they had other songs but I'm just saying like like a lot of it was just like oh hey. Guns N' Roses, but... I, I don't think it was, like, as flashy as, like, that sounds. It, it's more like... You know, it, it's like on how there, there was a lot of ACDC in the Iron Man films. Yeah. I felt that I felt this 
I want this film to be a little bit more 80s, I guess, which, you know, kind of links to the main topic, but just just from, you know, like how the title card was and kind of like, oh, you got this music, you got like a uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, it sounds like an 80s film, kind of like the stylized of it. Would have been cool. Would have been like a cooler, like you know, like callback to like the the eighties comics, like Marvel comics, like um, Thor stuff. And I feel they could have done that, but you know what this is? It's kind of like I don't know. It's it's messy. It's fun, but it's messy. Like I said, I feel like this is probably Taika Waititi's worst film, and um, everything else that he's made is like top tier. This is the only thing I can't like give like marks for saying like oh this is an amazing film. I think the the only thing is it's like like I said I did come into this wanting a fun just a fun film and that's what I got. But I think just overall like the majority of Taika Waititi's films feel like they've got so much heart put into them whereas this one did kind of feel like it was something that it was just like dragged out of like the back drafts or something. Yeah, I mean it's 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 still better than Captain Marvel, so that's all I'm gonna say. Would I be as bold enough as to say that Dark World was better? Uh, mm. In my opinion, yes. <laughs> but is that what what what's our final verdict on uh Thor: Love and Thunder? What is our final verdict for Thor and against? Well, on the Thor Thor side, it uh yeah, I like the film. It was a fun adventure, but not like the best thing I've seen. And if you compare it to Taika Waititi's other work, it kind of does need like major improvements. Yeah, I feel, and that's what you kind of kind of say for the against side, as well as you know, like a lot of things could have just been done better in terms of a Thor film. That's my opinion, personally. Um... The thing Taika Waititi does well is basically like personal stories and when it comes to you having a Norse god who can summon lightning at his very call it's it does kind of get hard to feel that super relatable personalness to his films. Yeah, I get that. Okay, so we are now entering our second act which is uh, the main topic for this episode, where we're talking about the best of the 1980s, our personal favourite films from that whole decade, which is obviously, it's a very iconic decade for films just in general. So we'll start with you, Jordan. What is one of your favourite films of the 80s uh, era of movies? Right, so my favourite film, well, not my favourite film, I've got two favourite films from the 80s and the first one i'm gonna talk about is iconic film i'm sure everybody's seen it if you haven't what are you doing with your life and uh yeah that film is back to the future directed by robert zemeckis in 1985 honestly i don't i shouldn't really ask this anyway because i, I probably understand why you like it but like why exactly is it like one of your favorites like what what is it about back to the future that makes you I'm 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 assuming like want like like to rewatch it like quite a lot. It's just a great film, you know. I think it's been described a lot as like the perfect script. Like everything happens for a reason in the film. Yeah, I mean, like you know, for example, there's like the Twin Pines Mall, which then later on becomes like the Lone Pine Mall because of things that happen in the past. 
Um, it's it's, I'd say it's a perfect time travel film. What do you think? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I I like it. I can watch it now and then. Um, I've rewatched the whole series anyway. But yeah, I I, I love the original film. I like the concept of it. You know, time travel. Like you know, go back to the days where your mum and dad met. Blah blah. Yeah. There's not much I can really say on it, to be fair. It's just one of those classic films. Um, I'm still yet to watch the musical version of it, actually. Because I know that uh, gets shown in Manchester now and then. There's a musical version um, of it? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a musical version of it. Blimey. Um, which is... The, it gets shown in the Palace Theatre now and then in Manchester quite a bit. I think it's... I know there's been like loads of spin-off video games in it. Obviously, Back to the Future just kind of inspired like a lot of film, like other films and a lot of time travel films, and other media, including Rick and Morty actually, um, which originally was Doc and Marty, and then Rick and Morty. So, um, so now every time I watch Back to the Future, all I can think about is just Rick going Morty. Um, well, that's one way to ruin it for myself. Did you see that um like live action ad they did for it where they had um, yeah. Christopher Lloyd playing uh Rick? Yeah, that was for the um was it like the Super Bowl or like the it was it was a, an adult swim ad. It was something they did to promote um like the latest season of it. Yeah, they should have done like a full on episode though, like live action. That would have been cool. No, I remember now. They were promoting the the season finale, I think, and I saw that thinking the season finale was gonna have him as Rick, but obviously that wasn't the case. Um, I love Christopher Lloyd. Um, great actor. How how old is he now? Actually, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, October nineteen thirty eight, which makes him about. 86? 85, 86? He was actually born on October 22nd, which, like, isn't that, like, the day after the date they go back to? I believe so. Um, how old is Michael Fox? Michael J. Fox? He's about 61. Oh, okay. What actually happened to Michael J. Fox? He's got Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's, yeah. I remember. I know a lot of people know him from this film directly, but I kind of first grew up with him with um Stuart Little. I, I somehow I knew that was what you were gonna say. I love the love the Stuart Little films, but you know, I I liked him in um Best of Future, I love uh Marty. Uh, I wanna say Morty though. Marty. <laughs> yeah, Mar- Marty Um Have you got any favourite scenes from this film that you like? I think it's like the prom scene where he's playing um what was it? What's he playing on the guitar? Is it Go Johnny? Johnny Be Good. Yeah, Johnny Be Good. He's playing that and he's, he does his whole solo. He's, and he, at the end, it's like, uh, I guess you're not ready for that yet, but your grand, like, you, um, kids are going to love it. And the, and the guy in the background is just checking out his guitar. D- did you see the guy who. Um, then there's like that scene, the same scene. He's um, the guy in the background's like calling up Chuck Berry saying, Hey, you've been looking for that new sound. I think I found it. Yeah, it's like it shows the ripple effect or something. I still think this film is home to one of the most satisfying scenes in cinema history uh, when Marty's dad, George McFly, the younger version of him, punches uh, Biff in the face 
because he's been picked on for like this whole film and then he takes his other arm and then like pins it up against the car and like he's like trying to break his arm and then he just like comes around with his other fist and just whacks him right in the face it's so satisfying um i like i like the um the ending scene too which is like you think everything's fine and then like the, the doc's just like oh it's your kids marty it's that your kids are in trouble and um it's just like to to be is it like to be continued or to be concluded or something like that uh like to, to be continued i i as much as i love every aspect of the film the script and everything i don't think it would work if it wasn't for the chemistry between michael j fox and christopher lloyd like whenever they're on screen together it's just you feel much more of a connection between them than any other two actors in the film like you can genuinely feel that Michael J. Fox's character feels for Doc Brown, and it's it's one of my favorite films. Obviously, not quite top five, but it's up there, top twenty. Yeah, that's cool. If that's one of your favorites, I'll tell you one of my favorites. Before you say that, can I just ask: Is this a horror film? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You've already guessed. How did you know? How did you know? Oh, I want to know. We definitely haven't discussed this beforehand. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, film I want the one of my favorites is um, Hellraiser, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, Clive Barker, starring um, Doug Bradley as everyone's favorite demon priest from hell, Pinhead, aka the Hell Priest. So, oh, you know, it was in the name, which is ironic because this film is less to do with. Pinhead and the Cenobites and what to do with someone escaping from hell then you know trying to be whole again I guess but yeah this is like one of the first horror films I ever watched as a kid I know me watching horror films as as a kid sorry Hellraiser of all things. how old were you oh uh, let's see maybe nine ten a little bit older okay I thought you were gonna say something like three or four. Oh no no no, no. I want to be watching horror films when I was three and four I wish um, you know, I was gonna say, like, oh God, probably, like, probably bad parenting. I, I feel so sorry for you if you, <laughs> I don't know, if, I, if you were like subject to this at the age of like so early on in your life. Oh no, but from like the age of like five, six, seven, I was probably like pranks by my cousins all the time with like scary videos of like Pennywise and all that, thinking it was funny. I don't know why, but now it's just like, haha, jokes on you. I actually like all these films because you know I'm, I'm not a horror fanatic, but um, Hellraiser was one of those. The first horror films I actually started to get into properly at that very young, ripe age of nine, ten, and I absolutely love it. I I, I love Pinhead, I love the Cenobites, I love Frank, which which is the the main bad guy in this. Which you know his iconic look is basically like a like a D skin. You just say Frank. Yeah, it's called Frank. I know, not not a very scary name. Um, You've got Pinhead and you've got Frank. So who's the bad guy here? Well, I am a Donnie Darko fan, so... <laughs> oh, Frank the the rabbit, yeah. 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 No, 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 no. He's not like Frank the rabbit at all. He's a, he's, he's a guy who's just escaped hell. Another difference there is this is a horror film. Donnie Darko is a horror film. What do you want about? I'm, go- I'm going to be getting all the receipts. Just you wait. What, what, what? You said, you told me you didn't like this film. Yeah. Why? Um, for a start off, I'm just not a big horror fan in general, so naturally, I don't. I think going into this, I was never going to give it five out of five, or ten out of ten, or whatever you want to say. I just, 
I just kind of thought it was boring. <laughs> I mean, I can. I, it is a slow horror. I can understand that. Like, I don't know. I might have to give it a rewatch. Um, yeah, you might have to. Quite a lot of the horrors around about like the eighties time were like very slow burn. Like Hellraiser, I can tell you, it 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 does take some time to get into because it is like a bit of a slower film. You know, not too much happens in it. Not too many uh, insane things. There's some very graphic um, imagery in it. Some very interesting backstory. Yeah, there was a lot of it that seemed a bit um, too like suggestive for my taste too. I feel like the practical effects that were done in this, like especially. Um, the scene where Frankie's basically been like reanimated just for from the drop of blood, like because that was all like shot in reverse, and it kind of, it just reminds me like so much of like something like John, John Carpenter would do. But one thing I did like about the film was I thought the costume design was like really good, especially for the eighties. Like the design of his face being like all kind of like you've just shredded the skin off somebody. Uh, it all seemed like really like. What, is this is this a pinhead's design? Or... That might be the character. <laughs> yeah, but which one are you talking about specifically? He was red. That, yeah, that's Frank. Okay. He's not a demon. He's just escaped hell. He's being reanimated, and his main look is basically like you know he looks yeah like you said he looks like it's it's just all muscle like he looks like his skin's been deep. Yeah, I thought the design and the um how they kind of have created that was really interesting. Let's just let's just say the demons in this are kind of like the good guys. Kind of like from a, a from a filmmaker's point of view, I thought that was like a really interesting part of it. Yeah, I like because like you know they're, they're neither good or bad in this. They're just like um, I mean, Pinhead specifically says, um, "Demons to some, angels to other others," because they basically I mean they come from hell or you know um, as you may guess from the title, um, they don't serve the devil or anything like that they, they serve something called um leviathan which is kind of like the i mean it, it would be their version of um satan but hell in uh the hellraiser series is is quite different it's more like a labyrinth which is i kind of like the idea of it being a labyrinth um and it's kind of like a glorification of hell yeah in a way it's more it's it's, it's explored more in the second film the first film, it's less to do with hell. It's more to do with, um, you know, the demons looking for Frank. And the box, the puzzle box, which is the lament configuration, which is basically like, um, uh, if you open the box, you know, you get transported to hell. Um, it's kind of like, for some, for some, it's like just a, a mistake. For others, it's just like um, pleasure through pain sort of thing. And that's... That's the kind of the gist of the Cenobites. Like you know, they they like pain. They like suffering. It's like their pleasure, which is it's kind of weird. It's like it's not. It's like it's like they're basically um, masochists. Um, you know, demonic masochists that like chains and hooks and um, all that sort of weird stuff. They're basically on the hunt for Frank in this. They want to take him back to hell. And they originally go after the main character who actually opens the box, my, my mistake, but just like, wait, what if I help you get this person back? It's like, we consider it. It's like, oh yeah, well, we'll if you can help us get Frank back, then we'll consider uh, not tearing your soul apart. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll, we'll torture you for all eternity. And then even then, they're just like, ha, psych, we still want to kill you. But, you know, they, they don't do that in the end. I mean, I kind of like what you said about on how 
you know, it's like, oh, good for you might be bad for somebody else. Because uh, I feel like that is a theme that's kind of explored in a lot of different films. And it's, um, you know, it, it's a great thing to, like, think about. Like, when you may be considering, oh, why is somebody doing this? It's probably they have, like, the complete opposite point of view of whatever situation that may be to what you do. One of my favourite scenes, actually, in this film, aside from, obviously, Pinhead's whole speech, is uh, one of the, the last few scenes, uh, which is, like, you know, he's Frank's being captured by the Cenobites, uh, being pulled back to hell, and uh, he gets, like, all hooks in his faces, and originally, um, the, the original line was supposed to be, like, a, a swear, but... Um, they replaced it with Jesus wept, so it's just him grinning with all these like hooks in his face before you know his skin's like flailed off and put to the walls and all that, being dragged back into the box. And I don't know why, but it's it's kind of like you know it, it like you know like because the whole film's like dabbling with the whole religious theme. I kind of like it. It's kind of powerful in a way. Uh, kind of a bit like it's it's mockery in a way, I guess, to the Cenobites because they're also from hell. Um, um, I kind of liked like the cons- the concept of the film as well. Like I thought it was like a nice idea to it. It's just in my opinion, it wasn't something I was like too interested in. I guess I understand that. The the, the first Hellraiser will always be an iconic film. The second one I liked a lot too because that expands by it a little bit more. I feel like everything after the second and third film does goes really really crap like all, all all the films after that just just not as great um everything kind of is a slow slight decline up until the last film which might have been 2018 2019 but they were more like um straight to demand films since you know uh, lower budget loss of rights from certain studio which is really sad because I I'd, I'd love to see like a good like continuation or like a you know maybe not like a remake. I don't think we need a remake of this film. Maybe like some sort of continuation that's you know does justice to the original. It would be funny if I just went and uh, if I watched the other ones like oh yeah I did quite like them uh, better than the original. <laughs> I do think I do wish if they actually did do a um continuation to get Doug Bradley back although. He's getting old now too, so um, they'd have to do it sort of like Halloween style, I guess, like you know, like, like legacy sequel sort of thing. Which no doubt it probably will happen at some point. Um, no, no surprise there. Yeah, I mean that's that's what episode two of the podcast was about. <laughs> Enough about my horror favorite of the eighties. What's do you have another favorite? Yeah, so for those of you who have listen to our first episode where we spoke about our top five favorite films you'll know that one of those was an 80s film and that film is the breakfast club i've watched the breakfast club and I'm mixed feelings in it i like it and i don't like it now i don't know if this is just um the problem with quite a lot of 80s films that they are slow and this one i don't know i i can understand why people enjoy it i don't see myself investing in the characters enough to be interested i guess i it, 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 it it's enjoyable i'd probably need to watch it more because i've only seen it like a few times kind of like you know how you said about hellraiser like you know after watched it a bit more then i'd obviously enjoy it yeah it's not 
some I'd say is a favorite. I mean, I kind of view the film as it's a film where I don't think you're necessarily meant to relate to the characters and you're not meant to fully invest yourself in them. You're meant to kind of look at it as an outsider. Um, I don't think I have like a common view among like people who are into the Breakfast Club because I view every character as just generally bad people. You know, maybe not all bad, but the majority of them definitely. Uh, and at least, like, they all have toxic traits. And I think it's kind of like a film that shows, like, hey, we all have, like, our issues within us. If you think you don't have toxic traits, that's probably a toxic trait. <laughs> Me um, having toxic traits? Never. <laughs> And it's it's kind of a film that like embraces that. Uh, no, I can I can understand your point about it being a film about not exactly great people. My favorite of a bunch is Brian, um, who is like the nerdy, stereotypical guy. Uh, he's not that problematic. His biggest toxic trait, I think, is just that he what he he's like a goody two shoes, and he does everything he's told because he's afraid of the consequences if he doesn't. If you've watched the film, you'll know that he contemplated taking his own life and brought a gun into school until it um, turned out to be a flag gun. <laughs> and that's why he's in detention. Uh, everyone else, though, it's like, you know, you can you can argue that characters like Claire and Allison are not bad people, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, look at everything that the character of John Bender does to Claire, and then she still goes for him at the end of it. That's clearly a toxic trait. <laughs> and I think a lot of these issues are what kind of damages the film for some people, because they're like, how am I supposed to relate to these people? For me, I kind of embrace it, because that's like, you know, I kind of just view the film as a film about pe bad people learning they're bad people, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can, I can get by that. I just don't think I've ever, you know, properly sat down and watched it. I've watched it a few times. It's been a while since I last watched it, and I don't know if it's just because I associate the film with just, like, like other things that have happened in my life, I guess, too, which is probably my toxic trait, now I think about it. I understand what you mean, though, by the messaging of this film. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's just good vibes. The music, the music, oh my god, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> What I like is music that have a, like, a killer soundtrack, and this is without a doubt, like, I'm going to say the soundtracks are better my other top two favourite films, which are 28 Days Later and Donnie Darko. Really? Yeah. It's, wow, okay. Because, like, Donnie Darko is obviously, it's more 80s, but it, it's not an 80s film, it's from the year 2000s. But The Breakfast Club is just all 80s vibes, and it's like, it's because it directly comes from the 80s, but I don't think there's been another film which really purely captures just the vibe of the 80s as well as The Breakfast Club, or at least nothing that hasn't been directed by John Hughes. What's your final verdict on The Breakfast Club, then? It's alright, you know. <laughs> it's alright. You went from, it's one of my favourites to, it's alright. Yeah, I mean, I don't love any film, really. I just think it's okay now. Uh, toxic you trait. see, huge toxic issue I've trait. got with this film. They don't eat breakfast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and they get given like massive like um, bag lunches. Like, you know, you'd be lucky to get one of those now. Actually, if you was in an American school, but also, how big is their library? I know it's massive. Actually, my college had a library that was about the same size as that. 
yeah i mean it was a high school so it was like also we stan when bender takes the weed out of his locker and shoves it into brian's pants that doesn't sound right i just said that out loud and it really sounds weird it's not as bad as it sounds (laughs) and moving on from that um no but the final vote is it's a good film but yeah no so breakfast club super iconic um watch it if you haven't already do be aware it it is slightly dated with some of the things that are in it but it's still great film nonetheless and another great film my end which is uh you know obviously another horror uh i'm sorry another one i'm sorry i'm sorry uh is child's play now child's play didn't didn't um spider-man direct this oh uh tom holland yeah thomas holland yeah oh ha ha god i can't believe like so uh, like uh, tom holland is like Everybody knows him as Spider-Man. I'll forever know him as the guy who directed a film eight years before he was born. Fun. Fun stuff. Um, if fellows you that don't know what Charles Play is about, which you should know what Charles Play is about, because you know, unlike Hellraiser, this is like one of the most notorious killer doll films. It's like a Toy Story horror film. I mean, this came out before Toy Story, right? Yeah. Which is where the whole Andy name comes from. Which is, you know... Is it in poor taste? Or is it just a really funny, like, nod? I don't want to think about, like, Buzz Lightyear or Woody, like, just waking up and, like, murdering Andy in his sleep. <laughs> well, you know, if they lose the rights to it, like, Disney have lost the rights to Winnie the Pooh, we might get to see a Toy Story uh, horror film. So I'm. Oh, God. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But, yeah, anyway, the main story uh, premise of this film is basically uh, a mass serial killer. Uh, Charles Lee Ray, kind of inspired like by your killers like Charles Manson, um, Lee Harvey Oswald. You get the point. You know, like all these psychopaths. Basically, transfers his soul into um a doll, like a kid's doll, and um a little boy ends up receiving this doll for his birthday, and you know it starts it, it obviously the spirit of Charles Lee Ray um takes over and tries to possess uh, Andy, tries to, you know, get into his body and all that, whilst also killing a bunch of people, so... Yeah, it's very, very, um, very fun, very positive, you know. I like this a lot more than Hellraiser. Yeah. I mean, in essence, the premises is, is not as messed up. It was but... just fun. It's, it was vibes, you know? <laughs> uh, I really liked, like, the... Not the opening scene, but, like, the first scene with Andy in it. Uh, he's just like making breakfast horribly, you know, and that's not even a horror film. That's not even a horror thing. It's like, I just thought it was funny. He's like, oh, burnt toast, putting way too much like milk and like cereal in his bowl. Yeah, it, that was um, great. I think one of my favorite film things about Chucky or you know Chucky and Child's Play, which has been you know it's been the same through all the other Chucky films aside from the mostly remake reboot which we do not speak of is the voice actor uh brad dorif um i think he's like 70 80 now he's he's all these people are like i mean to be fair this, these these were the 80s and a lot of these actors were probably like uh i must say like 40 50 during the time maybe um so a lot of them will be getting older now but he is basically the the voice of chucky um he is essentially Chucky. He always will be Chucky. Um, and his voice, I, I love his voice. It's 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 not a voice you think would come out of um, 
a child-looking doll. Yeah, because, I mean, for, like, the first, like, half hour or so of the film, he does talk with, like, the normal doll voice, and then he just goes, like, proper, like, sinister voice, and it's like, oh, <laughs> this is who we're dealing with. Um, okay, I like the voodoo um, sort of um, theme in this. I, I, I don't know if it would be, like, dated and, you know, like, if it's a little bit problematic. I don't think it is, but it's, it's not, like... It's 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 more like soul transference and all that. I don't know if, if about whatever he actually recites, if that's a bit um not acceptable. I mean I just saw it as he was like just like dealing with like the dark arts, yeah. the dark magic, like someone like Wanda Maximoff would do. Yeah, if if Wanda Maximoff was, you know, trying to enter um a doll. Which I mean, too fair that... I'm not gonna respond to that because I'm gonna end up spoiling Doctor Strange. <laughs> Um, I do be fair, like Chucky, uh, Child's Play wasn't like the only like doll film like around the time. It would have been like a bunch of other like doll horror films. Like I'm pretty sure Puppet Master would have come out around this time actually. Ah, uh, uh Puppet Master actually came out the year uh after um Child's Play, which is quite interesting. So that that's what it is. Like Child's Play is like one of the most iconic uh, killer doll um film. Which originally the working title of this film was uh batteries not included. Okay. No, it was changed because Steven Sp- uh, at the time uh it, was, it became known that Steven Spielberg was also making a film with the same title. Yeah. Then they changed it to Blood Bunny because you know the dolls are kind of marketed as um um oh, it, it, what is it now it's um uh, well now it's good guys doll but they're also like um um originally. Chucky was going to be called Buddy, so then it was, you know, Blood Buddy. But then they changed it again. It's like, oh, here's the good guy dolls, and it was all called different bunch of names. I mean, why didn't they ever just call it Chucky? Why did they call... Oh, I'm not too sure. I think... I don't think they they didn't... They knew... Because, like, I've always known of Chucky. I've always known of, like, the Chucky doll, but I've, I never knew... Well, I've, I've known for, like, years now, but, like, I remember when I found out it was called Child's Play. I was like, "Why isn't it called Chucky instead?" Uh, good question. Good question. We we might never know. I feel like what impressed me the most actually about Child's Play is uh, for its time the animatronics, like the animatronics used, like its facial expressions. It's um... oh, so what? That was an animatronic. Yeah, well, there was a few scenes where they did that. I thought it was a puppet. Yeah, they they used like RC animatronics and child actors and also um, like smaller actors. Um, for like various scenes, you know, if it like Chucky was running down the hallway or you know climbing, I honestly thought that it was just somebody like rapidly just like doing puppetry. No, um, I mean to be fair, you should you should see like the facial expressions. That's a lot more sophisticated just for you know a puppet. It's like an animatronic. Yeah, I mean, I assume I assume, I just assumed they did like use like different puppets or something. But now all 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 throughout the Chucky films, it's always been animatronics. There's never been any um CGI that I'm aware of. It's always always stuck by like animatronic. Like it'll be like um they rig it up and all that, and they'll use like certain scenes to like move the face, move the eyes, um. And actually get to walk, and they'll have it on like some sort of like rig, and they'll have it like walking down the um, you know, they they created different versions of it too. I do think that like by the end of the film, that the um, how Chucky looks is just terrifying. Yeah, he's been burned up, and he's still like walking. It it shows like the strength and like 
Yeah. You know, like, like it's like pure, pure. Evil. And like he's lost like a bunch of limbs, yeah. but he's still going. And I find it kind of terrifying with the concept of you know that he's been um, the body too long, that he's like becoming human in that body. Yeah. Um, you know, like like the st- is is actually bleeds underneath it, it's going flesh and all that underneath the uh, the doll, and that's why he's trying to get into Andy's body. So, you know, he doesn't have to be stuck in um a a doll's body otherwise we'll be trapped in it forever yeah i mean like it was interesting seeing like all that stuff i but like i didn't think the film was scary per se i just thought it was a little bit creepy i just i thought it was just a fun little film i guess <laughs> it's a little, it's a little satirical in a way i feel like that's what all the child plays have kind of um been there's a bit satire especially with anything that was after um uh child's play 2 or even bride of chucky actually that's where it kind of started getting a little bit more like satire like you know a little bit more comedic but even then in child's play uh two and three that they had like its witty moments um it wasn't as satirical as something like scream but like it was i I thought it was just a fun film Yeah, Scream was like full on like, you know, like um spoof, like not like not like exact parody, but just like, you know, it was very meta, very on the nose. But unfortunately that's a nineteen nineties film, so we can't go for that. Uh <laughs> I mean we plan on doing like a full horror episode in uh October, right? Yeah. I would say Halloween, but eh, my birthday, so I think like the whole we've got like the whole of Could October not. planned, and it's going to be stuff like relating to Halloween and stuff. Speaking of uh, Halloween and October, um, and and which heavily relates to this too, um, so you you are obviously aware of Fodder Love Horror, right? That the the horror convention that I go to, or I've been to once, and I'm going again this year. Oh me, <laughs> I thought you were talking to the audience. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, I think. Yeah. So, so last year, um, and I'm really gutted about this because this is my first time going to this event too. But Alex Vincent was there last year, and he's the the actor who plays Andy, like the original uh, child actor for Andy. Uh, and I'm really good. He's like Andy. forty now, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's still a part of um the Chucky franchise, even at this age, which I really love that 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 they kept the um, the same actor after all that time. Um, which he, his latest appearance was in the Chucky TV series on um, Sci-Fi. But he was at For the Love of Horror last year, and I didn't realise until I kind of looked at like who people got uh, guest photos with, and I'm really, really good. Um, and I do... He was also in... Um, which is also really annoying me too. He's also in Scotland this year too, at Scotland's Comic Con. Um, which I... When was that? I think it was back in april may i believe i remember it being announced okay. and one of my friends lives in scotland i just thought you're really lucky if you actually go see him so but i'm i'm pretty sure there's there'll be some uh 80s horror um celebrities at for the horror this year maybe not anybody from hellraiser or child's play unfortunately um as much as it would be great to have someone like you know uh brad Dourif or um Doug Bradley at this event, or maybe someone from a, a different eighties horror film, like you know Nightmare on Elm Street, like um Robert England. That would be the dream to have Robert England um be at this event, which I don't think he's going to be. But 
Um, Did you say you're meeting him? Who? Robert England. Robert. No, not this year. I wish. I feel like the, the only accent that I'm meeting that is um, close enough to the 80s, which, which is not exactly like the 80s, is Nick Castle, who plays the... Oh, that's what I was thinking Myers. of. Yeah. Um, well, you'll have to... Um, once you've been to um, Full Moon Party, you're going to have to like report on it, on whatever the next episode of the podcast will be after that. Oh, will do. It'll be... I think it's like during the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Um, hang on. So that'll probably be like before our last episode then for October. Yeah. I mean, there is a director actually that I might go meet who is a horror director who did a lot of horror stuff during from 80s upwards. Um, he, he did... Uh, I believe it was Fright Night. He, he did Fright Night Part 2. Um, he did It. He did Halloween 3, Season the Witch, which has got nothing to do with any of the um, Halloween films. He did The Fog. What's his name? Um, Tommy Lee Wallace. Okay. So we have Tom Holland and we have Tommy Lee Wallace. So, Tom's everywhere. Um, Tom's, yeah. And I might get him to sign my Pennywise Funko, my OG Pennywise Funko. So I'm I'm slowly drowning myself in horror Funkos, and I, I have uh, that's my toxic trait at this point. What's your most recent buy? Um, ooh, uh, good question. I bought another Michael Myers, so now I have like three different Michael Myers, and this one's like a more updated mold, like a more updated like version of Michael Myers. Not not like the the newest film, but just more like a, like an updated like. Um, model of it of the original Michael Myers, but we're gonna have to do like a full like live streamed episode one day where it's just me and you doing like a heist to go and steal my dad's Michael Myers mask. Oh yeah, it's either that or I buy myself a Michael Myers mask, and I know where I can get them, like where the good ones actually too. I can I can try and steal my dad's. No, he's a, he's heard it. It's it's gonna be on the podcast. It's like I like you, so we'll see. Best to leave it, but uh, yeah, my. My overall thoughts on um this film, I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite horrors. One thing I will say, I I liked it, but I didn't like how abrupt the ending was. Uh, I felt like it could have just had like one little after scene to kind of just not like an after credit scene, but like just one more scene after what the final scene is, just to kind of close the film off a bit better because it feels like it just comes out of nowhere really with like the credits coming on. Yeah, I understand that. I thoroughly enjoyed it and it's a film I can just rewatch whenever um and I'm just a massive fan of it so yeah as you should be so that kind of concludes this section um with me and Jay talk about our favorite 80s films um if you have any 80s films that you like let us know on our Instagram Facebook and Twitter and uh yeah we're now moving in into our last acts, the third act, uh, the news. Jordan, what is our topics? Uh, so our first story we are talking about is that um, kind of relating to last week where we were just kind of going through the recent Marvel San Diego Comic Con panel. Uh, we've got some information on the upcoming Avengers films. Uh, it's been revealed that Destin Daniel Cretton, who was the director of 
Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is going to be directing Avengers The Kang Dynasty, but he will not be directing Avengers Secret Wars. Um, what are your thoughts on this, actually, about his announcement of directing The Kang Dynasty? Um, I mean, it's happened for a reason, obviously. Um... Yeah, I'm 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 open to it. Uh, I know Marvel has a policy about when it comes to Avengers films, they'll only get people that have actually directed Marvel films to direct them. Um, and I can see why they've chosen uh, this actor, and he does good with a uh, combat. I'll say that much for Shang Chi, which was like a combat like driven film. Yeah, I mean, Shang-Chi, I think, had some of the best fight scenes I've seen in the MCU. Uh, yeah, like, straight away, it gets stuck into it. Like, the first, like, 20 minutes, it's really, really good. Like, you know, I I feel like that... It's kind of the equivalent of, like, the Russo brothers who did two Captain America films and then did two Avengers films. What I am curious about, though, is, obviously, we know there is a Shang-Chi sequel in development. It hasn't been announced, but we know that it exists. And he is supposed to be directing that too, so this could be another like Infinity War Endgame situation where they're shooting them back to back, and I just hope that doesn't affect the quality of either of them. We'll see if that already but... gets shot beforehand, like shot like in between, because remember there's still like quite a few things that have been yet to be announced because um, Kevin Feige has kind of said that you know everything that was um shown at uh, SDCC is not everything that's yet to be announced, and we will have to wait until um D three, um, D twenty three, yeah D twenty three. Yeah, I mean, also for all we know, Shang Chi two could come out after the Avengers films. I I don't know how likely that is, but you know, there's always a chance. Possibly, you know, I'm I'm willing to give them a chance. I mean, it's not like they're coming along saying. Because, like, I, I know, like, earlier on I was, like, defending Taika Waititi, but if they said today he's going to be directing the next Avengers film, I would be like, no. Uh, mass- massive, I don't, massive. It doesn't backlash. fit Taika Waititi. Uh, you know what, to be fair, it could be worse. Um, and I love Taika Waititi, yeah. don't get me it wrong. It could be even worse, but... though. They, uh, they could have uh, announced Joss Whedon. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. No, <laughs> just keep them away from any superhero films. Like, sure, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was good for its time, but yeah, just just keep them away for from every superhero film ever, please. Um, I'm happy with who we got. Yeah, I mean, the only Joss Whedon thing I've ever liked was the first Avengers. Well, even that, I felt um, it was like really campy. Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon is a huge scumbag. So yeah, no. Yeah. But I'm happy with the um, the directing choice that we uh that's been chosen and I feel like he could he's probably gonna deliver something like really promising and you know I'm re- I'm really excited. Also something that kind of relates to what you were saying last week was um you were saying you weren't a fan of how Captain Marvel was treated in Captain Marvel or Avengers Endgame, but you did like her portrayal in Shang-Chi. So if this is the same person doing Avengers, which Captain Marvel's obviously gonna be a part of. Um, Ooh, do you think we'll um end up seeing uh if I can remember his name, Ben Kingsley in this? <laughs> uh imagine. Just just in the middle of I mean of it, it's the just... MCU, so you can't really rule anything <laughs> out. But maybe. Now, to be fair, Wong is going to be in this because uh, Wong, Wong is everywhere at this point. Um, 
Which actually, I've heard a theory about that. To be fair, about what why Wong is actually everywhere. Like why is it why it's basically like Phase Wong at this point. Why is everywhere everything all at once? Yeah. Um. Have you heard of Midnight Suns? Or at least know what Midnight Suns yeah, is. Yeah, I believe that's like some sort of project that has also. Yeah, in the comics, it's like it's always been like a a team of like you know mystical, magical, like uh, supernatural characters, kind of like how. Um, I want to say like just to see dark and all that, or something like that, uh, or, or maybe not. But it's it's always been like surrounded like somewhere in like Las Vegas, and it's always been characters like uh, Moon Knight, Johnny Blaze, um, and other stuff like that. Uh, and it it looks like, um, and because of Benedict, uh, like Wong is you know, in the comics that Wong is kind of a part of that as well as like Stephen Strange. It looks like that he might be becoming the um, how do I say the mystical magical version of uh Nick Fury in a way. It's like kind of like you know recruit like a bunch of like powerful people to help fight something. It's likely. I don't feel. I mean, like... he's showing up in the same way that Nick Fury used to now. Yeah, so. I feel like that'd be interesting. It feels like they're doing a lot more with its character, and I kind of like that. That's I feel like that's what I like about um, Cretan. That it does a lot more with um, characters. I will say the only thing uh, I, I kind of didn't like about Shang-Chi was... Um, it wasn't Razor Fist. It was how Death Dealer was kind of used. I don't know. I feel like Death, Death Dealer... Uh, you know, it's the guy in the mask, you know, in the blue suit. Yeah. He could have been, you know, utilized and used a little bit more. So I'm just slightly worried about how. I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna trust him in the hands of Kang because he did, you know, um, the Mandarin in this like really well. But I I, I am just, you know, sl- slightly cautious. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine. Whatever happens. Whatever happens, happens. So anyway, enough about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm sure you guys got enough of that in last week's episode. Uh, Andrew, what is our next story? Uh, next story, um, a little bit of a short one, but I've mentioned this, uh, in another episode before, and what episode would it, would it have been, actually? I think it was episode two, because it was our reboot episode. Yeah, episode two. Um, so looking back to that, uh, when I talked about the Guillermo del Toro, um, version of Pinocchio, which was being released on Netflix. Um, we recently just got a trailer come out for that. Yeah, I've watched it. I'm guessing you've watched it. I have not. I know it's absolutely scandalous. Um, I was gonna watch it just for the podcast, but I just forgot. <laughs> I was like kicking myself in the back, like, oh, you should have watched it. Um, what's it like? What What is the trailer? Like? Is it good? Yeah, it's 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 good. It's got. Um, quite a few characters, uh, like quite no, quite a few actors actually that you'll recognize. Uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, Finn Wolfhard, okay. Tilda Swinton, Oi, Christopher Waltz. You have me, Ewan McGregor, honestly. Um, uh, da- yeah, da- 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 David Bradley's in this. Uh, Gregory Mann is okay. the voice of Pinocchio. Uh, interesting choice. I can see why with the the pitch voice. Uh, is it Kate Blanket? Blan- Blanchett? Oh, Kate Blanchett. Yeah, Kate Blanchett. Um... Did you just call her Kate Blanket? <laughs> Kate Blanket. 
I know. Um, yeah, a lot of these actors are really well. The Queen's name. <laughs> Ron Perlman's in this, of course, because it, it wouldn't be a Guillermo del Toro uh, film without Ron Perlman. Um, Bern Gorman. I mean, with this being del Toro, I'm taking it this is gonna. It's like a very fantastical yeah. take on the story of Pinocchio. May, maybe not like a horror um, version as much as that would be interesting, but it's very. Um, I think it's. I think it's like stop motion. I think it's like puppetry and all that. Um, Pinocchio in this is not like your painted um, version of Pinocchio. He's, you know, he doesn't have you know like uh, like like you know like the painted dyes or anything like that. He's basically he's, he's just like one color, like one solid like wooden color, and I kind of like it. It's like a little bit more like 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 what what puppet, puppets would probably actually be like back then. When does this come out? Oh, uh, I think it's like. November this year, October maybe. Okay, I'm gonna have to make sure to do like a Del Toro marathon, because uh, I I feel bad saying that the only other Del Toro film I've seen is Pan's Labyrinth. What you've only you 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 you've only seen uh, you've only seen Pan's Labyrinth really. I I've been planning to watch his films for a while, but I guess I have a reason wow, to. Have now. you not watched anything else by him? Yeah, we watched it when I was in college. So you've never seen Hellboy. Not that I'm aware of, no. You've never seen um, Nightmare Alley? No. Have you never watched The Shape of Water? No. You would not live, man. No, that, that's like a film I was aware of. I'm trying to find when it actually comes out exactly. This was announced back in 2018, actually. When it was actually going to be, you know, um, him actually making film which is interesting oh december there we go comes out december okay quite a few months from now but um yeah it's gonna be interesting i can't wait for it i'll make sure to give all his other films a watch before then <laughs> yeah i mean from everything you said it seems good uh another bit of announcement news random uh film news um it's been announced that godzilla vs kong 2 has officially started filming um, you know, which is kind of probably created a little bit of a buzz. Uh, and I'm very excited for that because I loved um, Godzilla vs. Kong and I love all the MonsterVerse films that are being directed currently, which is, you know, oddly enough, like one of my favourite actually verses from Warner Bros., even though they're doing absolute rubbish with DC, they're doing really, really well with the Godzilla like MonsterVerse. Like, they did well with Godzilla, did well with Godzilla and the Monsters. Um... They did well with Kong, and they did well with Godzilla v Kong. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with the second one. Although I don't know why we need a second one exactly. So that's that my only concern with that. What are your thoughts? I don't really have much. Uh, I I am kind of I I don't want to say boycotting, but like just I've kind of decided I don't want to go and watch films by Warner Brothers in the cinema anymore. For a multitude of reasons. I get that. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if I am going to watch it. Maybe if somebody else is, like, watching it, I'll watch it with them. If I pay for a ticket for you, will you go see it? No. But I get free cinema, so I'm not actually, you know, endorsing it. Well, yeah, there you go. I, since I pay I'll for get a free cinema then. No, because, um, think about it, because I'm, I'm paying for my uh, cinema pass, so I'm not actually paying for any of the, you know money that goes to the box office 
I'm just paying for my. Uh, I don't know. I think it might still like track it. Um, like they'll track just your account and what you've been watching. Mm. Um, I know, but it wouldn't go to the office, would it? No, I don't know. I don't. I'm not too sure how it works. Prob- a percentage of it probably yeah. would. Possibly. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, like if somebody else is watching it, like when it's out on like home media, I might watch it. I don't know. We'll have to see if things change by when that releases, which, like we said, it's only just started filming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's that's all kind of a little bit of news from me. Is there anything on your end? Yeah, so we're going to end off kind of like with episode five on a much less lighter note. Uh, as many of you may be aware, the veteran actor Bernard Cribbins passed away last week at the age of 93. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this? It is like really, really like saddening and like you know, uh, upsetting to kind of hear this news recently because I, I do know he was also um, filming for is it the sixtieth anniversary episode? Yeah, um, and which they have wrapped on. Uh, I think they're doing reshoots now, so hopefully he has you know anything he was involved in has been shot. So that's gonna be used his last appearance too, isn't it? In like any project, which is super sweet because like everybody like. People who are only really aware of, like, the revival of Doctor Who will be uh, aware of his role, of course, as Wilfred Mott alongside David Tennant. His first ever appearance was in one of the 60s films with Peter Cushing, um, the Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD, um, where he played a completely different character, but he has had, like, one of the longest-running careers within Doctor Who, um and it's kind of fitting that as such a huge icon throughout its whole history that he has that has his last role whether you've watched doctor who or not you will definitely recognize his face like from generations like back in the day he was you know in the wombles which was a big show in the 70s um to doctor who fans he was wilfred mart of course and I think, like, in the more recent years, he was playing, uh, is it Old Jack in CBBS? Mm, I think so, yeah. To be fair, I wouldn't know because I, I don't watch CBBS. Um. I'd be a bit concerned if you did. Bernard Cribbins will be, like, forever remembered. Like, I remember literally, like, years ago, I was worried that this would this day would come eventually because he he, he has been, he was, like, in his late 70s early 80s back when i used to like check on wikipedia to see is this person still alive and now the day has come it just doesn't feel real uh his wife died last year as well i feel like it makes that quote from um that episode um with with david Tint, you know the quote about like um he's, he's talking to his characters like oh i'm gonna die someday it's like yeah so am i I'm like don't you dare I'm like all right i'll try not to I feel like that kind of like I watched that today, and yeah. I feel like that really hits hard, um, because it's it's something we all knew, eventually was going to happen. Well, I'm currently doing a huge Doctor Who rewatch, and when I get back to those episodes, it's going to be hard hitting. And I think the 60th anniversary next year, which um, may be releasing in cinemas, there's been a rumor about that. Um, the 60th anniversary is going to be even more hard hitting, seeing that that's going to be his last ever role. Um, but yeah, no, there was so much iconic stuff with him, uh, and whenever his character got like emotional, you get emotional too. Like I was saying to people the other day that he, 
there's no other character in Doctor Who, I think, that's embodied that amount of just warmth from them. Like, there's other great characters, but none of them have ever given you the same vibe as his character did. And he'll forever be remembered in that. Like, he'll forever live on as this character. And it's... Yeah, he'll be immortalised as that character. Um, he'll be immortalised in Doctor Who. And, you know, he's going to be really severely missed. Um by everyone yeah i don't know a single person who didn't like him and if you did um what's wrong with you (laughs) what's there not to like (laughs) moving on from that however life goes on and uh this that kind of takes us to the end of this episode so stay tuned next week for episode eight which what what are we doing for episode eight exactly I have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea. We'll, we'll, um, yeah, it's, it's a surprise. Um, you'll hear about it when we do it. Um, but make sure to listen back to episode six. We again apologize for the delay and the quality. Um, they will get better throughout, and we are scheduled to be back on top weekly. So make sure to tune in weekly. Um, and if you have anything you want us to cover in our episodes, you can message us on uh, our social channels at so what we're watching on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or our email so what are we watching at gmail.com. But that brings us to the end. So that is me and Jay done. So we will see you next time. So goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.